0: Hey, thanks for tuning into my podcast. This is Big Head on the Block. Hosted by me, Tim Henderson, a.k.a. Big Head. Hey, welcome back to Big Head on the Block. Today we're going to focus on domestic abuse violence. I'm going to take you through some situations that I experienced personally, but also we're going to try to be informative and try and give some knowledge about how to handle these situations if you are a victim. Now, before we get into my professional opinion, let me tell you my personal opinion. I experienced uh, others in domestic abuse situations growing up and as I was a young man, not a police officer, but just a man. And my belief has always been the same. If you want to fight, fight me. Don't hit her, right? And if it's the girl that, and I've seen girls hit men just as hard. I'm going to try to break them up. I never allowed that to go on in front of me. And I always gave everybody the opportunity, especially if they were hitting a girl. You know, I didn't have a lot of experience with it, but I did encounter it several times in my youth. And I always told them, don't hit somebody that can't fight back, hit me, right? And that's the way I feel personally. Now, I have to separate my personal feelings from my professional feelings involving domestic violence. Because when I respond to a call as a police officer, in a domestic violence situation i have to be fair and impartial and i have to be professional also i have a job to do and i have to do it within the confines of the law right whatever the law allows me to do so if i respond and put my personal feelings into it i probably wouldn't be doing a a show or a podcast after 32 years experience because i probably wouldn't have made it past the first couple of years right so you have to be professional You have to do your job. You have to do it within the boundaries that the law gives you. That being said, let's talk about a tactical response whenever you have a call for service. If an officer is dispatched to a call involving domestic violence, it's incumbent upon him to get all the information he can while he's en route to the call. He needs to find out where his backup is and if it's practical to wait for backup or if you're going to have to just handle the situation alone and, you know. Sometimes you just gotta go on alone because the situation's dynamic, it's uh fluid, and you can't you can't wait because time isn't necessarily gonna help the victim out for you waiting an extra minute or two minutes or three minutes for your backup to arrive. So yeah, you're exposed to a lot of danger whenever you involved in a domestic call, especially if you have to respond by yourself and engage the perpetrator by yourself. So let's take how you initially respond. If you Get all the information you can. You're going to have an address, so you're going to respond. It's important that if you have the opportunity that you stop a few houses away so you're not in direct line of the actual house and and give the perpetrator an advantage of seeing you and, and being able to engage you if they choose to, right? So you want to walk up and you want to walk up in a tactical manner. Hopefully, you know, a few houses down and just walk as opposed to stopping in front of the house. Now, on occasion, you're going to accidentally happen upon the address because some of these houses aren't clearly marked and you're just going to have to adapt to the situation that you're thrust in. Right. You happen upon it. Now you can either move up a little bit and then walk in or, you know, you can get out and and make your move in. Every situation is different, so I can't give you an answer on that. But the best way is to walk up to let them not hear you responding. And if it's a code three call, which requires lights and sirens, when you get close to the area, when you're in close proximity, you need to make sure that you turn your sirens off and make sure that they don't have the advantage of hearing you respond because that could give them enough opportunity to uh, finalize the act if they're in a domestic violence situation. Uh, It could give them the opportunity to to get to drop on you because domestic situations Take a lot of police officers' lives, and although sometimes police put themselves in a in a bad situation, sometimes you just in the situation that you're in, right? And uh, and sometimes they get to the drop on you. There's really nothing you can do about it in, in that instance, other than try and react and engage, right? But once you once you make it to the scene tac- tactically, you need to make sure if you have to go in dynamically, you know, maybe you have to kick a door in. Maybe the door is open. Who knows what the situation is but you have to figure out your method of entry and you have to figure out, is my backup close enough? Do I hear hollering, screaming, fighting inside? Do I wait? So there's there's a ton of things. And, and people, I want you to understand this. When police officers respond to domestic situations, their lives are in jeopardy every time because the volatility of these situations, many, many cops have gotten killed, like I said, in, in domestic situations. And officers who respond to this, to these type calls they know inherently that hey man this is this is what i i'm getting paid to do i'm having to put myself in harm's way to protect somebody else the protect and serve cliche right that's what we do well this is your time to protect and and you're going to have to put yourself in harm's way a lot of times so deal with it it is what it is you know don't sit here and think about it just make sure you're making good tactical decisions So you make entry into the house because you're by yourself and the backup's not there yet. I'm going to give you one instance that I experienced to kind of give you a story attached to the response. I got to the scene. My backup wasn't close. I could hear some arguing going in. As I opened the door, I see the guy on top of the girl. He's standing up on the couch. I'm sorry. He's standing up on the floor in front of the couch. She's on the couch. He has her pinned down. I quickly am able to subdue him. I go to handcuff him as I handcuff him. My backup arrives and they, you know, pretty much they got there just in time to see me handcuffing him. So I advise him of his rights at this time. And I separate him and take him into the other room. And I have the other officer talk to the female to find out exactly what was going on from her situation, because you always have to separate the people Whenever you have a domestic situation, because one person is not going to talk freely in front of the other one, especially if they were the one that was getting victimized. So as I'm in the bedroom talking to this guy, he's handcuffed and he's, he's kind of getting mouthy now. And he tells me he starts getting aggressive more than mouthy Uh, starts trying to, uh, you know, be smart, elegant, uh, run his mouth and tell me how bad he is and stuff. And I said, look, man, uh, you ain't bad. What I saw was, you being physical with a girl that was about half your size. So don't sit here and try to act like a tough guy. Well, he starts he starts getting a little uh, rowdy. And I said, Look, man, I grab him and physically control him. And I said, Look, you you took advantage of her because you were physically capable of beating her. Now you need to understand this. Before I put these handcuffs on you, it was just me and you in this room. Period. It was just me and you. She was on the couch, but it was just me and you here. I didn't have no backup or nothing. So if you have the man you think you are, you had the opportunity to do whatever you threatened to do now before I, I put them handcuffs on you, because now he's telling me take the handcuffs off and see what happens. Mm-mm. You could have you could have shown me what was going to happen before I put them handcuffs on you. So just like most people that victimize other people in domestic situations, he was a coward, right? He was bold now that I was hand, that now that he was handcuffed and knew that I wasn't gonna do anything to him physically, but he had every opportunity before I put them handcuffs on. He complied and submitted to being handcuffed. Then he wants to run his mouth. Like he's a tough guy. Mm -mm, You're not a tough guy. So I had to get um, back to, to the basics. I had to realize that this guy was kind of pushing my buttons and that I needed to, to remain professional. Right. So next thing I did, I found out what was going on. And he told me that the only only reason they were in a in a spat was because they was having sex and 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 it was physical and and she actually was a willing participant. Now I had seen the girl because she was on the couch when I walked in. Right, I saw that her face was red. She was appeared to have been beaten up in some capacity. I also saw on her cheek a big bite mark. So you know, after I read him his rights and everything, I'm talking to him about this and I said, "Oh yeah." So what about the bite marks on her cheek? And he said. Oh, she likes it like that. And I said, yeah, I don't I don't think so, man. So anyway, we took him outside to the unit. I got the uh, information from the girl as to what happened. And her story was consistent with all the information and the evidence that I had at the scene. So he was taken to jail and arrested. And, And and I tell you this story because this was one where I didn't wait for backup because of the situation that was fluid and dynamic inside the house. Officers, like I said, you're going to have to put yourself in harm's way from time to time. No way around it. So now let's talk about investigating these crimes. Whenever you get compliance and you get the situation under control, the scene under control, if you will, you have to separate the parties. You have to advise. You need to basically advise both of them of their rights because you don't know what actually started this fight uh, or physical encounter, whatever the case may be. Then you talk to them and see who was the aggressor then you make a determination of whether or not you have enough probable cause in, to make the arrest right so in in the case with the guy i had her the female statement i had the physical evidence of the bru- the battery um the redness of her face where she was battered and the in the bite mark a huge bite mark on her cheek right so that was enough evidence for me to to book him now in the late 90s the louisiana legislature enacted a law that gave police officers the right to arrest people on behalf of the state of Louisiana and or the city of Baton Rouge, even if the victim didn't want to pursue charges. So it kind of gave us an additional tool to say, hey, your your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever didn't want to pursue charges, but we're arresting you on behalf of the state of Louisiana. And, and you say that because then it takes the onus off of the victim to have to come forward or to be responsible for the arrest, Right. Um, the person is told that we, as the state of Louisiana, are pressing the charges on you. The victim didn't have anything to do with it. Now, this was such a great tool that we had at our disposal as police officers because we didn't have to sit here and, and figure out how to get the victim to to press charges. You know, in, in domestic situations, a lot of times the abused— will not want to press charges because they're scared of retaliation. If they say, yes, this person hit me, they go to jail, they bond out. They're going to be back in the same situation later that day, the next day, a week later, a month later, or whatever the case may be. So a lot of times victims have been reluctant to to file charges. Well, in the late 90s, um, 98, I believe it was, whenever they changed the law, this helped. It helped everything immensely. It, it, It helped us take the victim out of the equation to, to offer them a safety barrier, if you will. And, and it gave us the opportunity to make the arrest. Now, as you're investigating a domestic abuse situation, you need to make sure, and young officers, you need to really focus on this because what you say in this report and and document it, you know, back then we didn't have body cameras, but now you do. What you say and what you document could lead to this person actually being convicted so you need to do your job and you need to do it objectively and professionally right you need to see is there anything that's been knocked down on the ground you need to note all the the physical damage to the house if it's less left in disarray because of a struggle um, and you need to take the statements of each party and and find out exactly what happened and if one story is able to be corroborated with the physical evidence Make sure you put that in the report to give the district attorney an opportunity to present a good case either to a judge or jury and get a conviction because the only way to stop domestic abuse is to as from a police officer perspective is to make a good case and to put these people in jail and, and have them convicted of the crime. I've seen a lot of cases get dismissed because the victim wouldn't come forward or the officer didn't document things right. But know this, the district attorney can use the things that you found from an evidentiary standpoint as a reason to move the trial forward. Right. A lot of times victims are reluctant even to testify at the trial, even if they know they're going to get convicted, they still won't do it because maybe they're back in love again. Uh, And that's the, that's the problem with domestic abuse. A lot of times there's the people make up and you back. We, we had frequent flyers where we would go to the same people over and over and over. And that's really disheartening because after the second or third time, then you starting to think, okay, him and her are at it again. Every time we make the rest, he gets out and they make up. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about that because, you know, no matter what human emotion, if somebody loves somebody, they're going to love them regardless. And if they choose to put yourself back in that situation, you as an officer have to continue to do your job and take your personal emotion out of it. Right. Um, because it is annoying to to continue to go back to the same place over and over and over. And, you know, when you're a cop, especially when you're a veteran cop and you experience these things, you know, that this call, you know what it is, what it's about, you know, most of them don't rise to the level of homicide, but some of them will. And some of them progressively get worse. So, you know, you have to do your job as an officer and and luckily they gave us the ability to uh to handle these calls ourselves without having direct cooperation from the victim. Nowadays, there are victim advocate groups and other groups that you as an officer can give phone numbers and and try and seek help for the person who's being victimized. Um, let's use, for instance, if if a, a male um beats up a female, but they have kids together. He's the primary source of income. Now, as a victim, she's having to say, well, he's the source of income. We don't have any other income. We got kids. What am I to do? If you take him to jail, we're not going to be able to survive, right? So it's important that officers uh, give these victim assistance cards out and give people as much information and data as they can to get help from these victim assistance nonprofits or whatever, whatever they may be. They may be able to provide temporary housing or even a long-term strategy for this person to get away from, from the abuse. But a lot of times people can't get away because financial situations or because they just love the person and don't want to get away from it, right? So as an officer, understand this, domestic abuse calls are very volatile in nature. Respond accordingly, prepare for combat when you arrive. And then if nothing bad happens, then you were prepared for nothing, right? Handcuff and move on your way. Make sure that you do a thorough investigation because these victims need all the advantage they can have whenever these uh, cases go to court. Now, what I want to say before we leave is this. A lot of times officers, they get blinded and, and historically it's been male um, beating females and that's been the predominant call and, and that was... Pretty much the case as an officer coming up in my 32 years. Most of the domestic violence I experienced was male on female. However, there are occasions uh, I can remember one time specifically, we had a guy who called and he said, officer, I need help, man. I'm tired of her beating me up. This poor guy was like 150 pounds soaking wet and, and his female companion was about 300 pounds and you could clearly tell that she had the capability of of hurting this guy and he had bruises marks and everything on him and and he said look I can't take it no more so there are times and situations where you have to do your investigation and and make sure that you taking the right person to jail and don't think just because historically the male is the aggressor that you should take not taking into consideration the totality of everything that occurred, the physical evidence and everything. So don't be blinded and think that just because it's a norm that it's true in this case. All right. So focus on the evidence that's presented to you at the time that you there on the call and do your very best during your investigation to determine who the aggressor was. And look, officers years ago, a lot of people would arrest both people Um, You need to determine who the aggressor is because those cases that go to court and the district attorney has been clear about it over the decades. If you arrest both people, the prosecution will be at a serious disadvantage when it comes time to prosecute this particular case. Now, I didn't touch on it much because there's so many different laws That have come about during the course of my career and even since I've retired. And I've been retired three years as of this podcast, right? So there's a lot of laws that you have to familiarize yourself with. But if you know the basics of simple battery, domestic abuse battery, and stuff, you can make the detention of the person and then find the charge that fits the exact criteria within the Louisiana Revised Statute. But It takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of energy. But understand this, you putting a domestic abuser in jail could potentially save the life of the victim. If there's any kids involved, it could potentially save those lives. So make sure you stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Make sure that you intervene. Do your job proficiently, professionally, do it objectively, but make sure that you do it and understand that this is one of the most important aspects of law enforcement to make sure that we curb the domestic violence in our cities, our states, and our country. Now, before we end the podcast, I want to tell officers, you make it through a 30-year career without getting emotionally involved or attached to situations. All right. Early on in my career with BRPDA, I experienced a very violent attack on a female. She was stabbed anywhere from 30 to 50 times. I don't remember the exact figure. She was left for dead. Eventually, me, my squad members, were able to catch the perpetrator who was in an adjacent neighborhood. And the reason we did is because he wasn't able to run very well because the people that saw what was occurring outside of this apartment complex picked up a two-by-four, cracked him in the head. Now, he was so intent on killing this girl that he had broken a knife off in her and he went back in the apartment, got another knife, came back out and continued stabbing. And thank God for these good Samaritans who cracked this guy in the head with a two by four. Right. We took the guy into custody. Uh, I don't know whatever happened with the case because I didn't follow it. And I don't know if the girl lived or died. Um, I, I didn't follow the case, you know, after that day, because as a uniformed patrol officer. You go to calls, you go home in the evening, and typically whatever happened during that day stays in that day, right? Uh, obviously, this case meant a little bit more to me because I still have, um, you know, a good foundation, a good memory of what happened that day. But I actually don't know the outcome of the situation with her or the court case with him. And I can only hope that she survived and I can only hope that he was prosecuted and and put away for life uh, for what he tried to accomplish that day and that was to kill this poor girl. Officers throughout your career, you're going to be exposed to a lot of these situations. I've seen a lot of people get murdered in domestic situations, uh, scenes that I responded to, scenes that I was exposed to. And I'll tell you this, as an officer, make sure, especially now in today's society, there's a lot of um, activities out there for people to, to discuss their feelings and to let other people know things that they're experiencing and things that may be you know, bothering them. Don't be afraid to tell somebody. Don't be afraid to uh, debrief with your squad, with your, um, you know, commanders or whoever uh, they decide to allow you to talk to, but make sure you talk to somebody because a lot of the stuff that you are exposed to normal humans ain't supposed to be exposed to this, right? You're not supposed to see a girl who's been stabbed. We'll just say, 50 times right you're not supposed to see that you're not supposed to be uh, exposed to that kind of stuff in your life so make sure as an officer you put your pride down and you get some help you talk to somebody friend family counselor anybody priest uh, any clergyman uh, there's people in your department typically like Baton Rouge City Police they have programs set up for you to be able to debrief and then express yourself and they have a lot of resources so don't keep this stuff locked up internally. Now, I gave you an overview of domestic violence, and I hope that it gave you some situational awareness. If you're a victim, uh, if you're a perpetrator, you need to get counseling and get help so you can stop this cycle. And and people, y'all need to understand this. When children are exposed to these cycles, and, and I'm not a psychologist, but I'm I'm just telling you from 32 years experience, right? They see what's going on. And the likelihood that they're going to engage in this type of activity growing up is is a lot higher than somebody who's not been exposed to it. And it causes trauma in these children. And the one thing we have to do in America in all aspects is protect our children, whether it be from abusers, whether it be from domestic violence situations like this. Let's lessen the exposure to the negativity with these kids, and let's give them the opportunity to grow up like a child and have a nice, happy, productive life and not have to see their mom or dad beaten up, their mom or dad killed. You know, it's a situation where society has got to do better, and us as police officers have got to make sure that we're doing our job effectively and that we're taking these people who prey on other people and incarcerating them and for those who think that the jails are too full well guess what they're not full enough when it comes to domestic abuse because they got a lot of people out there uh, still doing this type of activity that's not in jail so if we got to fill them up this is one good uh, group of individuals that need to be locked up thanks for tuning in to this episode of big head on the block i'm tim henderson the host I look forward to dropping another podcast soon. Please give us any comments, likes, dislikes, or any topics y'all would like to discuss. Thank you.